1: healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help
2: of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow.
0: Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. at and When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone.
1: From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works.
0: Hello. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Noel is on jury duty. Yes,
1: that is true. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant, or or, or Paul Nutella Deccant, you know. We'll go for different—I was thinking we could do more case-specific nicknames. But most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this Stuff They Don't Want You to Know— Matt, I'm gonna I'm gonna exercise full disclosure here. Uh, I have I have not had a feeding period today, so
0: I hey, I'm, neither have I. I'm very interested, invested in what we're going to talk about. Yeah, today. you are going to hear many stomach noises. Mm-hmm. These are against our will. It's our bodies <laughs> rebelling against our life choices, uh, but it's just what we have to do sometimes. Um, you know, I'm gonna be imagining a oh a delicious toasted. Banana Nutella sandwich, yes, hold that
1: image in your mind. I will imagine a burrito bowl, oh, uh, maybe some chocolate, uh chocolate and... burrito bowl. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some mutant <laughs> uh, livestock and some aphrodisiac gum. Oh wow! All of that <laughs> altogether—it's a combo meal. You actually save money if you buy those at once. Yeah, it's apparently. amazing. Right? Uh, this this episode is about food, perhaps not in the way you think. Uh, it's often said that you are what you eat, right? Uh, and like many cliches, that is a cliche because it is true. It doesn't matter whether you live in Mumbai or Malibu or whether you're orbiting the moon or one of the moons in the solar system. You, like every other living person, have to eat to survive over the long term. It's one of the biggies. You know, like you have to sleep, you have to breathe, you have to eat. So it's no wonder that the world of food is so rife with conspiracy theory as well as Genuine cover-ups. Uh, it's it's wide rife with corruption. Uh, wide rife is a, uh, a phrase that a uh, good pal Frank Mulhern taught me. So Frank, if you're listening, I still think you made it up, but I think it's awesome.
0: Oh, like Frank, Frank? Yeah, Frank, that Frank. I never knew. I never never known his last name. <laughs> well, he has been. We we've just compromised him. I just yeah. Frank is the best. Shout out to you, Frank. If you <laughs> ever
1: listen to this, <laughs> and uh, and we know that while conspiracy theories quote-unquote may be treated like they exist in the realm of folklore, right, or urban legend, we know that in the case of food, which is such a massive business, many of the things that were once called conspiracy theories were later proven to be true, right, Uh, in one way or
0: another. Yes, Uh, everything from some artificial sweeteners, uh, to a lot of other food additives to hormones in you know meats and other products that we eat uh, we've we've on this show covered a lot of it and seen a lot of it uh, to be at least somewhat true
1: and i'll i 'll never forget the day and I, I say this with an air of gratitude matt i 'll never forget the day you ruined orange soda for me orange soda uh-huh
0: you told me about Brominated vegetable oil. Remember this? I do remember that. A uh, flame retardant, I believe. Uh, At least that's the way the chemical was originally uh, created for that purpose. Mm -hmm. It's in your Mountain Dew right now. Your citrus drinks, your orange sodas. Mm.
1: You know, I've still never tried Mountain Dew. Am I missing out? Um, it has an interesting history. I've just never
0: tried it. You know, 13-year-old me mm. would like take you right now to a convenience store and purchase at least three different types of Mountain Dew. But older me would say I drank Diet Mountain Dew the other day and I know I shouldn't have but I had to because I needed – I needed some Diet Mountain Dew. Sometimes you have to do the Dew, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we we have covered a lot of this stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Ruminated vegetable oil – Uh, The vast insidious conspiracy of the sugar lobby. Mm -hmm. Uh, Both of those things are true. Uh, The dangers of DuPont, for instance, would be another thing. Corporate shenanigans. Strange origins of aspartame. Strange origins of aspartame, for sure. Uh, Nestle just trying to make the Mad Max uh, dystopian – fictional world, a reality here on Earth within your lifetime. So that's something to look forward to.
0: The uh, non-water world, I the, think is what it would be called. Yes. Oh, well done. Yes, the
1: non-water world. Just so the what we what we've seen, though, with the realm of food-related conspiracy theories, is that we will never run out of ideas. You know, check out those episodes we mentioned if you haven't heard them yet, but you don't have to listen to them to enjoy today's episode or be incredibly terrified by it because as the state of food on this planet changes, the conspiracy theories and the opportunities for corruption and uh, evil deeds also evolves. The rumors change. And before we get to some of the really crazy stuff, let's just paint the picture of, uh, of the people alive now and the stuff that they're shoving down their gullets, uh, you, Paul, you, dear listener, and me included.
0: Yes, the facts are there are a lot of human beings hanging around on this planet and a few of them floating in orbit around it. Mm. Currently, the world population, if you go to WorldEmeters.info, is 7,757,304,000. And then the number just keeps growing. Right. Okay. Just under 7.8 billion. I always
1: love when we play this game because whenever we pull that number up, what that means is we go back uh, at the end of the episode and see how many people have been born. We can also be a little grizzly and see how many people have died. So— To be
0: fair, that number is going up and down constantly. Yes. Yes. (laughs) That's absolutely true. So that's a ton of people well
1: that's, that's millions of tons worth of people and unless there is a global or very large scale regional disaster a catastrophe like a a plague an impact event a coronal mass ejection um you know all the old testament stuff yeah uh, unless wide scale nuclear warfare, wide scale nuclear warfare, exactly. Unless something like that happens, this number of people on the planet seems set to grow, and every single one of these 7.8 billion people, every single one of them, has to eat, just like the fast food chain Checker says. So what? What on earth? Like I, I, I don't know. What's the most? Have you ever cooked a large meal or a meal for a large group of people? I yes. Okay it without you know without diving too much into the personal life how many people
0: uh largest one for me was on a grill for about 25 something like that i'm probably around the, the same and to be clear that was a
1: cooperative thing
0: you know yeah I mean? yeah it wasn't just me yeah <laughs> right, but you know it it was the amount of food purchased in order to feed that many people mm. was significant,
1: yeah, yeah, and just the logistics involved, right? because you want people to be able to eat roughly at the same time. so how would you how would you feed heat a billion people? how what do?
0: living people eat. You know what I mean? Oh, sure. Well, we can talk about that. Uh, Throughout the world, there is a staple grain in any given region, roughly, because people, human beings, are grain eaters because it's something that will fill us up. It's relatively cheap to create and it – or to – well, it's relatively cheap and easy to manufacture, essentially, through farming, right? Mm -hmm. So things like corn, rice, and wheat – uh, together, those three, just those three, make up 51% of the world's total caloric intake. So if you look at corn, it's about 20%, 195 rice 16.5%, and wheat comes in at about 15%. And there are also uh, a lot of other roots that have I, – I guess you would call them – Um, like starches kind of, Mm -hmm. these these foods that will fill us up. Yeah,
1: yeah. Stuff like roots and tubers or cassava, potatoes. Then we also have another, another genre, right? Soybeans or sorghum and plantains. Most of the world's food, just a little over half of it, is this sort of stuff. Yeah. It's super efficient to grow. Uh, you can find regional, r- regional specific varieties. And we have also, as a species, spent a lot of time genetically modifying these before the concept of genetic modification existed, right? Yeah, by, that's the old by hand genetically modifying. Old Mendel, uh, the, the Mendel and the peapods, right? Yeah, there you go. Uh, so, we have a different category though. And this is an exciting category, and ever since the moment that you were born, this category has been growing. It's been exploding. It's been uh, metastasizing, some would say, if they're being more critical, because people, you know, people tend to eat these grains cheap. Mm -hmm. They're affordable. They can can be ubiquitous in certain areas, but that's – I would say that's maintenance food. That's survival food. That's keeping the machine running. Everybody has. or The vast majority of people have some sort of favorite dish. And that's when we move into the realm of what what I would like to call aspirational food. Ooh, okay. You know, in some parts of the world, it's funny if you are a vegetarian or a vegan or you have any friends who are, uh, you should know that in some parts of the world, if you – If you say you're a vegetarian and you refuse to eat meat, if someone offers it to you, you know, who lives in that area, uh, they will – no matter – they won't assume you're rude. That's somewhat of a myth. No matter – you can be really polite and people understand. Maybe you don't eat it for some reason or another. But in some parts of the world, people will assume that you're not doing that because you're poor or you've never had the opportunity to eat whatever delicacy this is being proffered toward you. Oh, okay. And this is a telling cultural thing because people want to eat, you know, the meat of the gods, the food of the king, the royal cuisine. And globally speaking, it's more possible to do that than it was at any other point in history. You know, Atlanta, Georgia, for instance, has one river of any note. Running, running around it or through it, right? Now, there's a couple of artificial lakes. You know. Shout out to Chattahoochee. What's <laughs> up? Shout out to the hooch. Uh, and that means that we, if we were trying to eat uh, ocean-bound food or something, we would only eat the stuff that came from that river or those lakes because otherwise there'd be no way to get, you know, crab legs to us or something. That's, yes. It's a long way away. But now we have these huge networks that can transport Everything from point A to point B, zip, zap, zap, you know, just like the improv game, but it's steak or That's it's right or it's uh, it's uh, it's antelope or it's, it's shark fin, you know, mm. things
0: like that. Thank goodness for that. We always make this joke, but mm. thank goodness for that legal seafood.
1: <laughs> yes,
0: ah, uh, we,
1: we've we talked about that before. Yeah, we have. just so went in there. What a what a weird name!
0: Yeah, it's a brand. Everybody, that's not a concept. It's a, it's a brand.
1: It's it's a restaurant that calls itself Legal Seafood. You know, that's like that's like going out of your way at a fast food restaurant to gar- to have a sign, a large sign that says, you know, we guarantee that almost a hundred percent of our burgers have never been spat in. You know, mm. <laughs> and it's like that's the McDonald's guarantee. Almost one hundred percent. Almost one hundred percent. You're right. We have these these gargantuan avenues of shipping and trade, and we also have hand in hand with that concurrently, we have a great deal of global development. You know, in the times of for many of us listening, in the times of our grandparents or great grandparents, people were limited to the food that was locally available, and things like uh, say an orange might be a luxury. It might be something you get as a, a birthday present, you know? Yeah. And that's changing now because people are in these rapidly developing areas and they are able to eat aspirationally. Now we can have uh, meat every day. Now we can dine on
0: whatever the caviar of our mind's eye may be. You oh, know? yeah, or even things that are – Maybe processed and packaged that are coming from far away, we can we have access to those foods now they're mm-hmm. being shipped to us rather than us having to create them here at home again before it all collapses, yeah,
1: and uh we uh, there's that moral crossroads moment that some people have had, and i've I've had it myself where you say, well, it's quite possible that wild seafood will will no longer be a thing before. You know, I die or you die or whomever dies. And then you have the choice. You say, do I I join the embattled and outnumbered good side trying to save the planet? And do I, you know, do I recuse myself from the seafood game for the betterment of the world? Or do I, like the vast majority of people who eat seafood, say, I got to get mine before the house burns down, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, seafood died – most of seafood that I have access to died in 2007 when the Deepwater Horizon went down. Or was that 2008? Whenever Deepwater Horizon went down, mm-hmm. all of my Gulf shrimp, I just – I had to say no thanks. I'm sorry, man. I know. Me too. It changed you. It really did. As As a person. Inside and out. Yeah. Yes. Mostly inside. Yeah. All that oil and – Flame retardant again. I know, uh, but if
1: there's ever a fire, you know?
3: <laughs> yeah,
1: that will be fine. Uh, so you're right, though. We have more and more people who not only want to consume something more than, you know, a, a porridge or a staple grain yeah. every day. Uh, they can also now do it. Yeah. You know, and that, that does tie in uh, in some ways with an increase in the quality of life. We would be remiss if we didn't point out that also ties into things like the increase of early onset diabetes, obesity, all those other terrible problems. A lot of that due to the processed snacks. And of course, again, I used the word previously, the insidious actions of big sugar. Yeah. So let's look at let's look at the meat, right? If we have more people eating the same amount of stuff, then logically we'd also want to grow that industry, right? We want to satisfy that demand.
0: Well, yeah, and to do that, guess what we need? More of that grain, which is great. So now it's not just humans consuming all the grain. It's also our food consuming all the grain. Because really, if you love it, you hate it, it doesn't matter. There's no denying that meat itself is extremely inefficient because it's a thing you got to feed, to then slaughter and eat. To produce a single kilogram of beef, which is highly popular, at least in these old United States and many other places in the world, it requires 25 kilos, 25 kilograms of grain to feed the animal. One kilogram of beef equals 25 kilograms of grain and roughly 15,000 liters of water. So not only the fresh water that is... uh, Quickly becoming, uh, they're problematic. Uh-huh. Finding enough fresh water for all
1: of humanity. God um, ask Nestle about it. They're really, yeah, they're really torn up about it.
0: But the the grains that that will feed us and the water that will quench our thirst. It's all being used in these processes. And pork. If you look at that, it's still a big issue. A little less heinous. At least from the amount of stuff needed to create pork. And then chicken is a little less than that, but still, uh, all three are problematic.
1: Yeah. We can also see the problem with space. Just uh, not the final frontier, I mean, just the (laughs) geography. The scale of the meat industry has left a mark in the way that we use land. Currently, about 30% of the Earth's surface is used for livestock farming of some sort in some way. And since food, water, and land are scarce, or arable land, are scarce in many parts of the world, this could also represent an inefficient use of resources. There's something else we, we have to talk about.
0: Ugh, this is a messed up and gross thing. This
1: is the one that I I, I have I have some – ...money on this one, uh, industrial livestock, especially in the U.S. and many other places, relies heavily on intense and profound application of antibiotics. The same kind of stuff that will fight an infection for you or one of your human loved ones, if you are feeling peaked, uh, then, you know, you should be able to, in theory, have an antibiotics regimen of some sort, and then, boom, you will be cured... Onto your happily ever after, whatever the next problem becomes in your life. However, because there are so many antibiotics being used to uh, keep animals alive in unnatural circumstances, right? What we're seeing is that this gives this gives some of these infections a chance to evolve at a faster pace than normal, and this renders antibiotics less and less effective. Each passing year, in the U.S. alone, 80% of antibiotics are consumed, not by humans, but by the livestock industry. Good God. If you think about it, this is a crappy voice of dark humor, but I just have to make it. If you think about it, the last hamburger you ate, you ate in this country, in a way, it had better access to medicine than you did. It
0: just didn't get to consent to it. Wow, wow, man. That's it's really rough, and this is this is very, like, uh, you guys know. In a lot of these situations, Ben and Ol and I have to like be humorous about these things because it is so intensely upsetting. As somebody whose grandfather died as a direct result of an antibiotic resistant bacteria infecting him, like this. it it horrifies me and it really pisses me off because just listen to this already in 2020, more than 23,000 people are like projected or estimated to die every year inside the United States alone, just in here due to some form of resistant bacteria. And, you know, that number is not going to go down. Because unless we completely change our ways and somehow the ba- the bacteria just decides it's not going to evolve anymore, right? And become resistant to a lot of these things. Because at this point, we are going to continue giving our livestock antibiotics at these levels because we will have to because we have to create more food. It's just we're in a rough position. Right. And nobody nobody
1: wants to – purpose it's it's the hazard of the common good right nobody wants to purposefully step down their own lifestyle for a minute benefit net benefit to the planet unless they know everybody else is also going to be helping well no people do that but no one wants to be in a situation where you know we slave away and eat gruel for the rest of our lives and then there's some elite steak eaters out there you know what i mean and they're reaping the benefits of fewer people participating in the meat industry, but they did not have to change at all. It's like it's it's kind of like how if you're ever in a if you're ever in a bad traffic situation, you see a bad driver, and as long as everybody else is a defensive driver, the bad driver can be as horrible as they want until they hit something. Yeah, and they you know they. There's a system to punish them, but how often does it work, right? So mm. so I know there's a lot of gallows humor here, but if you like steak, if you enjoy a good, I don't know, Korean barbecue, right, or a, a good bacon buddy sandwich as they eat in, in the United Kingdom, then you'll be glad to know that These drawbacks, which are real, have done nothing to hinder the popularity of meat. It still remains aspirational. You know, it's associated with success. Globally, our species consumes around 315 million tons of meat per year. By 2030, that number is going to reach 453 million That's an increase of 44%. Gets a little fuzzy as we go further into the future. But experts can make a ballpark, you know, like cocktail napkin guess as to the rate of meat consumption in 2050. And the highest estimate they have is 570 million tons. And with that, you know, there comes a lot of hidden fees, just like buying a car. You have the deforestation that will occur. You have the increasing likelihood of an antibiotic-resistant infection. They could just mow down humans the way that the original popular uh, gross michel bananas were mowed down, right? And again, that's all just assuming no large-scale disaster occurs before that.
0: Yeah, um, and it certainly feels like one is on the way uh, <laughs> with every passing moment. But for now— Uh, let's, let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about some of, uh, some foods that are, I don't know, less scary, less scary, but still have some issues that are going to make you not sleep at night. Uh, and before we do that, we're going to take a quick word from our sponsor. Let's just cross our fingers and hope it's not food based. Oh, I hope it's blue apron. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with
1: the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
0: With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand attempt to hire part-time
2: or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer.
1: Yes, yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that.
2: With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and
0: fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the
2: help you need along the way of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard right
1: snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly visit snagajob.com or text snag to two four two four two four to talk to an expert
2: snagajob.com
3: where america goes to hire this is it your moment this is your time to make your comeback with purdue global
2: And we're back.
1: Yes, that's that's some hard hitting stuff. Now I know many people in the audience today. We, we may be uh, seen as preaching to the choir for people who live the Michael Pollan esque plant based diet, or people who are vegetarian or vegan, or some you know uh, variation thereof. Or you may be you may be an avowed carnivore and saying you know this is overhyped, hippy-dippy stuff. The thing is, uh, you know, we're not vegetarians. We're not practicing vegetarians. I I was for uh, some time. But what we just told you, that's true. And what we're about to tell you now is is also true. Let's take a lighter tact, maybe, as you said, Matt, and examine some foods that are uh, often in the mainstream not associated with uh, these various drawbacks. Like, sure, we get it. Uh, there there are tons of problems. There are profound, abiding problems with the meat industry. But what about, you know, what about desserts?
0: What about the sweet stuff, huh? Oh, yeah, sure. But, dude, let's go into chocolate. My, one of my favorite things in the world, chocolate. Probably one of your favorite things, too. My wife would um – my wife would give me up in a minute for a, a lifetime supply of chocolate. I guarantee you that. <laughs> and it's, it, it's it not is. her fault. I wouldn't blame her. I would say, you know what? You're right. I would take that deal. <laughs> no, that's not true. None of that is true. But in Western Africa, let's let's just go there to where, any one of the places where cocoa actually comes from, where mm. the stuff that becomes chocolate comes from. It's uh, a commodity crop. It's grown primarily for export to other countries. The United States is one of those places that takes in a whole lot of it. 60% of the Ivory Coast's export revenue comes from its cocoa. And as the chocolate industry has become bigger and bigger and bigger, as more and more massive companies become conglomerates and they all depend on their chocolate goods that they export across the globe, so has the demand for cheap Cocoa. So, super cheap, as cheap as we can get it. Mm -hmm. Just give me it uh, as much as you can for as little as I can possibly pay. Check this out, though. That, as you can probably imagine, has a pretty big effect on the people actually cultivating and gathering the cocoa. Yeah, that's right. The
1: average cocoa farmer earns less than $2 per day. That is income below the poverty line, in, in case that was a question. And as a result, In this intensely competitive market, people often result to child labor to keep themselves able to to stay in the game price-wise. Most of the children laboring on cocoa farms are between the ages of 12 and 16. This is, again, cannot stress this enough, and I'll stress this again later. This is not a rumor. It's not a conspiracy theory. These are 12 to 16-year-olds, and reporters have found children as young as five working in the cocoa industry, 40% of these children are girls. Some stay for a few months. Others end up making uh, a living into adulthood on this.
0: Yeah, and one of the ways that the larger buyers of the cocoa, um, they get away with it by claiming that this is a third-party kind of thing, right? Where – We are just acquiring from this group of essentially what would be farms or farmers or gatherers of this product. And we have no visibility into those companies as to what their practices are. Mm -hmm. We just know that we are buying from the supplier essentially. Um, There's numerous documentaries online where you can find that. Pretty well documented.
1: And you'll hear companies saying, often in good faith, saying that, well, we have this list of standards to which our suppliers Mm -hmm. must adhere, and if we find out that something is wrong, then we will go investigate it or we'll stop working with them. And of course, when the rubber hits the road, the picture is not uh, always as clear cut as we would hope.
0: Even incentives to make sure this kind of thing doesn't happen, usually monetary, but uh, those funds perhaps find their ways into other hands. And again,
1: it's such a huge, huge business.
0: Uh, Ivory
1: Coast alone, we we said it's uh, a lot of its export revenue is tied up in cocoa. But thirty, they produce thirty-eight percent of the cocoa in the world, and West Africa overall creates two-thirds of the world's annual cocoa crop. It's insane, and that doesn't even count some other adjacent countries in the region where you can grow this stuff. It's a lot to have to walk away from, and it's a lot to figure out. Of course, if you're the kind of person who's bothered by child labor, but you love chocolate, you can find things that, say they're ethically sourced, and say they are, for instance, free trade, or that the, the people working in the industry are paid a fair market rate. But really, the burden of, The burden of proving that has been passed to the consumer because for one reason or another, large corporations don't have the best track record. So that's chocolate. So we ruined chocolate. Woo. Yeah, kind Uh, of. But
0: that's okay. Uh, You don't need
1: chocolate. Come on. Yeah. Why don't you just settle settle up with some – uh, some delicious Nutella, right? That's like chocolate. Yeah, Nutella's that's, great. You know, something that's less chocolate, more hazelnut, maybe some other alternative ingredients to, to give it that smooth consistency and texture. It still, you know, it still hits those savory notes, but it's not as bad.
0: That's right. It's not as bad, and you're definitely not going to get any trans fats in there. Right, because you won't be eating trans fats. You'll be eating palm oil in the U.S., uh, palm
1: oil is mostly used in processed foods, and a while back, Uncle Sam said we got to get rid of this trans fat. This trans fat is everywhere; it's nuts. I can't have it. Uh, you know, we have a duty as Americans, and so they move. You know they they tried to reduce the amount of trans fat that could be in in your snacks at your local grocery store. It backfired. They started using palm oil, and they started using a lot of it. The Center for Science and the Public Interest reports that palm oil is now the second most popular food oil in the world, the first being soybean oil. And a lot of palm oil comes from countries like Indonesia. Indonesia is one of the largest palm oil producers and exporters in the world. It also used to be home to a lot of orangutans.
0: Yeah, uh, 50%, or at least 50% of the world's wild orangutans have disappeared. They, I mean, that's not even really a good term for it. They've, they're gone. They they're die. Dead. It's yeah, not like die. a lost
1: situation. Yeah. They're not on an island waiting, fighting the black smoke or
0: something. No, you cannot make an up and vanish season about this. It is just, they're gone. Um and the the problem is just the groups of orangutans who could be reproducing, could be, you know, making more of them, have reduced in size and number. And 80 percent of the orangutan habitat has either been complete, just depopulated or totally destroyed. All of the places where they could have lived are just gone. And this, this is not a trend like that just started happening. This is something that's been going on for a long time and has, it's not going to stop. There's no signs that this is going to stop anytime soon. If you look at government maps, just of the way different countries are planning out the land, how it's going to be used, it's just the same thing. Because it's the same problem we're running into with more of us, with more consumption. We need more land to make the same stuff we're making now. I want to show you something and we'll we'll
1: post it on our Facebook page. Here's where it gets crazy. This is a clip from fairly recently of an orangutan attempting to fight a bulldozer that's destroying its habitat.
0: Oh man, that is heartbreaking.
1: Yeah. And it's it's a very short video. You can you can find it here, but
0: but yeah, palm oil is has a direct connection to this. And just to clarify here, what we're talking about with, you know, making use of the land in that same way, it's because palm oil is derived from the fruit of palm trees, these oil palms, um, primarily it's the African oil palm. But it's – the way you get it is by, you, by smashing up essentially the fruit of these palm trees, And in order to get enough of that fruit to make as much palm oil as is needed, you have to plant as many of these palm trees as you possibly can. And the only way to do that is to have enough land to plant those trees. So you wipe everything else out and put those palm trees up.
1: This problem continues in Malaysia. Peat swamp forests are being obliterated, and these disappearing forests are home to things like the pygmy elephant. For everyone who has a soft spot – Tiny, cuddly, baby Yoda-like things. This is the elephant version of that. Who just remembers Dumbo. (laughs) Right. Uh, And the clouded leopard, tons of rare birds. Again, we had—these are all facts. We're not even into the next act of the show yet. Everything you just heard is 100 percent true. These are not conspiracy theories. These are proven incidents of child labor, in some cases slavery, corporate corruption, followed by cover-ups, and this is just the beginning We will be back with some of the most bizarre, strangest food conspiracies in the world. We'll also tell you, the best we could determine, the likelihood of these. We'll do that after a word from our sponsors. Snag-A-Job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
0: With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can
2: cover all your needs on demand. Temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop.
1: to talk to an expert
2: snagajob.com where america goes to
3: hire this is it your moment this is your time to make your comeback with purdue global when you come back with a purdue global degree you create opportunity for yourself your family and your future it's a degree you can be proud of a degree that employers will trust and respect Purdue's online university for working adults you know you're worth it we do too so don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu l-a-s-i-k lasik.com have you been thinking about lasik but not sure if you're a candidate
2: here's where it gets crazy
1: fellow conspiracy realist not only are there more food related conspiracies than you might ever imagine new ones are cropping up all the time we can divide these into several rough kind of broad categories but within any of these categories you're going to find um, you're going to find at least several instances per year of a new specific tale popping up in uh, within them
0: oh sure you've got everything from corporate malfeasance just something that a corporation decided they had to do either for a bottom line or for PR they just had to save themselves um, illegal government meddling where you've got some large Thing like the FDA coming through and making changes or enacting something particular. Brazil and deforestation. There we go. another one, yeah. Uh, Hidden costs of food, which is kind of what we were talking about, like antibiotics, these things. Um, Just what it actually takes to make make that uh, beef of yours that you're eating right now. I'm not going to judge you. Keep eating it. It's fine. Um, I might have some later. I'll do my best not to. You could also look at fad diets, like breatharianism. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where you just need air. Yeah. All I need is the air that I breathe. <laughs> Ooh, don't sue us, please don't sue. No. Uh, yeah. Bizarre uh, medical claims are another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's all kind. Of, these are kind of the big. The big five, I guess, that we can put these things into. So we found a couple that we thought would be
1: enjoyable and maybe surprising to many of us in the audience because you, like us, have dug into a lot of these things before. So we've heard about allegations of detrimental effects Due to consuming fluoridated water, sure, right? and tail as old as time, uh, we've also heard things about you know the meat industry and livestock and the, and the way animals are mistreated. We've also heard stuff about the maybe the food pyramid, so popular in the U.S. here, being ultimately a uh, an illicit collaboration between the government and several, uh, several food-producing
0: interests. Oh, for sure. And don't even worry about the pesticides and herbicides. That, all that stuff's great.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Neonicotinoids all day, baby. By the way, We did a video on that, and it turned out we were right. Yeah. It turned out the science—and it wasn't—we didn't figure it out in a lab. (laughs) We just dug into the science, and it was there. It was published. It was not classified.
0: And then years later, oh, oops.
1: Exactly. And then someone has the nerve to say, well, it's not a conspiracy. Yes, it was. (laughs) It was absolutely a conspiracy to cover up the deleterious effects of pesticides. Anyhow, no, let's— before I go on some weird TED Talk rant, let's let's look into some of the things we found that we thought might surprise you. Uh, let's go big. This is a weird one. Aphrodisiac gum. Hmm. Now, before we started researching this episode, I
0: had never heard of this. I like the idea. I'm sure there's some kind of... Just in, the, in concept, like an aphrodisiac gum.
1: So the idea then with this gum is that... You would chew this, and while chewing it, you would ingest substances that made you so blindingly, unreasonably horny that you couldn't do anything else. Okay, It, it turned you into uh, a sexual version of the Tasmanian devil cartoons. You know, you're just kind of like whirlwinding around, trying to, trying to get intimate with something. And this story comes to us because Hamas— which is a governing authority in Palestine uh, was for a time convinced that the government of Israel had been sending Palestinian kids this aphrodisiac chewing gum to make them you know excited to mess with their hormones and and distract them from the struggle against oppression and the you know the the tension and violence between those those two entities Objectively, the evidence is pretty scarce, but we do have on record uh, one of the spokespeople for Hamas in a 2009 article from BBC.
0: Uh, Yes. This spokesperson, Islam Shahwan, stated, quote, we have discovered two types of stimulants that were introduced into the Gaza Strip from Israeli border crossings. And then later this person said, quote, The first type is presented in the form of chewing gum and the second in the form of drops. Yeah. So this story got
1: regional and then global attention when a Palestinian man complained that his daughter had experienced dubious side effects after chewing this gum. And this was reported by the media in Israel and they, they started trying to hunt down the people that they felt were smuggling this gum or bringing it into the territory and selling it. One suspect said he got the products from an intelligence officer, the Israeli government, at a cut rate price. And the officer said, you know, we don't want money. We want to distribute – we want you to distribute these products uh, amidst the young people of Gaza. So the idea then, it, it seems like a little bit of a – Reach doesn't it? Yeah, it doesn't seem like the most direct way to affect people. And if you modify, even even if the science is there, and you modify a small part of a person's behavior, it doesn't it it, it doesn't necessarily result in the the effects you want, right?
0: Yeah, it sounds like a high cost research project and manufacturing thing that would give you very little gain mm-hmm. and strategic advantage doesn't seem to be a thing here so it's difficult for me to see a scenario where this is true right right
1: also we looked and could not find a an example of the scum you know what I mean Mm -hmm. find these statements find these stories the Israeli military declined to comment on the record but one source in the Israeli military said this was this is absurd yeah why would we do this for the reasons that you just mentioned so that was one we had never heard of. But here's one you uh, may have already heard of in the past. If not,
0: we are thrilled to introduce this to you today. All right. So let's say you just left Popeye's. You've got one of those glorious new sandwiches Ooh. that are, I have to admit, pretty dang good. Pretty good, right? I enjoy the spicy version very much. Well, maybe not Popeye's, maybe not any one particular food chain. Let's just call them mass market food chains, the big ones, the mega chains. Some uh, weird stuff is going on in trying to make enough chickens, enough chicken to fill all of the orders that are just occurring. They never stop. I mean, if you've got a 24-hour McDonald's anywhere near your house, you know. Whenever you've been up, it doesn't matter how early in the morning it is, how late it is, there are people getting some food. Some of that food is probably going to be chicken.
1: Yeah, because the ice cream machine will never work. <laughs> it's, it, never it's it's, it's, <laughs> it never works. It's always out. That's a different conspiracy. It's true. So how, how then is all this food supplied?
0: Well, yeah. So how do you do it? How do you get enough chicken? Well, there is a theory out there that possibly someone out there is making chickens without heads. Chickens without feathers, without feet, just uh, with breasts. Extra breasts, extra wings, extra meat. Extra legs. More meat. Can you imagine a chicken that is just the meat?
1: I uh, wish to scream, but I have no mouth, right? That old Harlan Ellison story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like a hellish existence even if there is not a a brain as we understand it. It uh, sounds out there. It sounds like the science is massively advanced beyond what we're currently aware of. Versions of this legend, this is an urban legend, have been circulating for decades and decades and decades. And when I first heard it, you know, it made sense to me on some level because I always thought, the fast food shtick, their whole thing was uh, weird and delicious and evil, but delicious. Yep. it's delicious. It's evil and it's delicious. I always thought it was weird. The example that stayed with me. I don't know if you ever, if you ever knew this, but years, years, years ago, uh, I went to a Chick Fil A, and I just wanted a sandwich, fries, and a Coke, and they said. I want a combo meal. So what's the difference? And they said, well, it comes with slaw. And I said, okay, that's fine. I don't want any slaw though. I just want a sandwich, some fries, and a drink. And they said, okay, but when we give you that, it's going to be more expensive than if we gave you the combo with the slaw. So, yeah, yeah, I made the same face that Matt's making now, which is, you know, your Just head, tilted head a little. Your lot. Head tilted a little, <laughs> uh, slight eyebrow furrow, because what that means essentially is that I am paying a tax to not have slaw. I, I am, like, I, I, am requi- I am mandated to help them dispose of their coleslaw. God knows where it came from, and God knows they don't care where it goes. But if I refuse to participate— in this in this slaw exchange the or this slaw slough transaction yeah yeah, this spiracy then I will have to pay a toll essentially I am, I am being taxed for this I don't get it I, I don't get don't it either get it. so you know, having experienced stuff like that and maybe that's maybe i, I just had a weird one-off uh mental tete a tete. With with the <laughs> with somebody the,
0: who just really wanted to give you the person working
1: at Chick Fil A, yes, uh, but with that in mind, it, it's one of those things that can help you. It's a breadcrumb along the precipitous slope into the idea of mutant chickens. KFC, not Chick Fil A or Popeyes, was usually the one that was most often accused. The earlier versions of the story were like six legged chickens. And the idea was that the birds were so plumped up by chemicals also that their their huge bodies were impossible for them to support, you know, their own feet walking. So they have more six to eight like chickens because the, you know, the question is how do they taste?
0: How, how does a six-legged chicken taste? You don't know
1: because no, no one's ever caught one. I'm sorry. I was just
0: pausing for laughter. I'm for sorry all for all, the, all of us. Uproarious this. No, laughter no, no, there.
1: No, no. I heard the boos and the womp womp uh, <laughs> from here. But, but it's true. That was the idea. And this rumor was so popular that Kentucky Fried Chicken itself eventually addressed it on their own website in a page that has since been removed. It also tied into, I don't know if you ever heard this one, the idea that the federal government make Kentucky Fried Chicken changed their name to KFC because what they were using could not legally nor
0: ethically be called chicken. Oh, so now it's just KFC, mm-hmm. the thing. There's no chicken involved. It was going to be legal fried. <laughs> there you go. Mm, bringing Oof. it back, buddy. That, I mean, I, I do remember hearing that, actually. I do remember hearing that. And here we have, from the the KFC website, their response to this rumor of mutant chickens or – uh, whatever you want to call them. Uh, mute. Uh,
1: I'll get there. I'll get there. Keep yeah. going. Give me a sec. All no right. worries.
0: Here we go. We can set the record straight. No mutated or genetically engineered chickens are involved in making our delicious KFC chicken. Just 100% real chicken from U.S. farms, which have to pass over 30 quality checks and USDA inspection before being hand-prepared by one of our cooks. Ultimately, less than 10% of chickens meet KFC's high standards for quality, which includes no artificial hormones or steroids, a federal regulation. Favored out of
1: context quote there. I, may I ask you to do a, a Colonel Sanders esque voice?
0: Oh sure. No mutated chickens are involved in making our delicious fried chicken. It's a true story.
1: It's pulled from the internet. Uh, the the official site or they moved it somewhere else, but you you can find that. I, I love that KFC. KFC just thought, you know, if we if we throw the word delicious around, like somebody throwing a crucifix around a vampire, maybe that'll ward off these allegations. At this point, uh, you know, for for most of the lifespan of this theory or this rumor, the technology wasn't there to the scale that would need to have occurred, right? Sure, just growing meat like that, essentially. Mm-hmm. But that may be the future. Lab-grown meat is already a thing and has been for a number of years. Now it's just a question of, again, making a large enough amount of it, right? hmm There's a—so, mutated chicken thing, the idea of no beaks, no heads, extra wings, extra legs, that is, has a very low likelihood of being true. However, the way that these— Individual animals are treated in just normal, no smoke and mirrors, uh, skull and bones, livestock life. They do have tremendously painful lives, right? Their beaks are chopped off. They are oftentimes unable to walk. And they are, of course, as we said, pumped full of antibiotics to stop the infections that would otherwise rage through them. So it's still not pretty. uh, But they do have brains.
0: Yeah, I, let's move away from meat. Let's let's get something that's maybe meat adjacent. Would that be okay? Yeah. How about uh, you like fondue? Oh my gosh, fondue! We used to have an amazing fondue place in Atlanta. It the was melting on a, pot. It was, no, it was on a pirate ship. Oh, that's right. Uh, Dantana's. Uh, Dante's. Dante's down the hatch. Oh, yeah, and I miss
1: it so badly. Yeah, that place was great. It was part of that fondue craze that swept the U.S. It turns out that the fondue craze is a conspiracy, not a conspiracy theory. The fondue craze was manufactured by what we could reasonably call Big Cheese. The Big Cheese was responsible? (laughs) The Big Cheese. I feel like we need a sound cue for that. Yeah. Technically, their name is the Swiss Cheese Union. That's how I'd say it in English. Oh, okay. A little bit after... uh, World War One, cheese consumption was really low. People just had other priorities. And the Swiss Cheese Union, which sounds like the name of some indie band that we would have been in in college, the Swiss Cheese Union says, all right, we're going to get together, we're going to reduce supply, we're going to create artificial scarcity, we're going to fix prices, we're also going to limit the types of cheese that you can legally make and then... Will ru- will literally rough people up if they don't play ball with us. And this is in Switzerland. This is throughout Europe, okay, eventually, okay. and in Switzerland. So, in combination, they also got the government involved. So the government collaborated with them, and they made an a marketing push that was Bernays level clever to get people to convince people they like fondue. Who doesn't like like cheese dip anyway, right? People love dipping. Dipping is one of the best things about eating in general. You dip stuff in stuff. Yep. you know what I
0: mean. Yeah, sauces are great. And if your sauce is mostly cheese, I mean, come on.
1: You're you're ahead. Yeah, so far you're ahead. winning. You're light years ahead. You're you're sort of you know it's in in some culture. Uh, you are a god. You're like there's a cargo cult about the cheese sauce
0: guy. Absolutely, which I would be into. I would hear him out. I'm not saying I convert, but I'd hear him out. I mean, some queso. Mm. Queso is just fondue in a different vessel, right? Yeah, man. Yeah, I have no shame about the
1: the ungodly, unclean amount of cheese I eat. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I mean, same. I'm I'm kind of always up for it. <laughs> Sort of like an arsonist, uh, you know, I asked an arsonist if they want to see a fire. Most of the time, I imagine, not yeah. hanging out with any arsonist that I'm aware of, I imagine most of the time they're like, you yeah, know, I'll, ch- I'll check it out.
0: They might not do anything, but they might want to just window shop. I literally was just daydreaming about queso being right here between us and a whole bunch of chips. That'd be so great, man. I'm so hungry. <laughs> oh. So, even
1: after this, yeah, I'm, I'm hungry as well. So... So it turns out that the fondue craze, quote-unquote, was manufactured. Here's one that we saved for you, our good pal, our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant, Paul Nutella
0: Deccant, Paul Chipotle Deccant. Uh Uh-oh. Huh? I've heard tell that he goes by that sometimes. (laughs) Just by the – Sheer number of delicious burritos and slightly lime flavored chips mm-hmm. that he consumes
1: the chipotle uh, down the street from us actually has a day in Paul's honor because we, yeah, when things were getting rough he he saved the business oh really mm-hmm. it's very It's a very inspirational uh, inspirational story. I think Disney's
0: optioning it. Is that when there were outbreaks occurring at Chipotle's all over the place?
1: Ding, ding, ding. Yes, yes. Hole in one. There were outbreaks, reports of uh, E. coli, most famously, I think. Uh, but there were other things too,
0: right? Oh, yes. Salmonella, norovirus. Uh, mm, yum, yum, yum. But that E. coli is always the one that freaks me and probably a lot of us out mm-hmm. the most just because it is, you know, poop. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's what it is. The weird thing about these scandals, they they all occurred within a few months of each other in 2015. And then it happened again in 2017. And that's when a fellow named Aaron Allen at a restaurant consulting group, Aaron Allen & Associates, said that he saw a pattern. He said, look, I see a pattern not just in the food poisoning that's occurring, which, you know, Chipotle to their credit and their parent company did a great job in, in finding – the uh, finding the the bad food products right sure but Aaron Allen said there was another pattern that was functioning in concert with the incidences of food poisoning he said he saw the stock activity and he was paying attention to it because Aaron Allen says of course after there's a scandal again there's some e coli there's some you know there's some poop in the burritos naturally the stock price drops right yeah This was at a time when people were very anti feces and burritos. It's just not where the market was. Uh huh. (laughs) And. And his idea was that someone was intentionally doing this. Maybe not someone working for Chipotle, but someone with some sort of reach was manufacturing the scandal. They were making the stock price drop, and then they were buying it up again for pennies on the dollar, knowing that it would eventually rise because it would just
0: be a cycle thing,
1: right? Because as as super producer Paul Decken can attest, Chipotle is going gangbusters. You know, it'll hit some bumps in the road, but they're they're not
0: in trouble. Man, that is in that's intense. That it's the equivalent of letting a or <clears throat> purposefully having a certain part of a city or something being run down by depriving it of, let's say, police officers mm-hmm. or or, you know, just letting something happen to where the property prices get so low t- to the point where you can buy all of it and then put up your own thing. That's what was occurring, allegedly. In the Chipotle market, according to uh, this Aaron Allen fellow, right, right, and again he does run a
1: consulting group or did at the time. So there's one one more we'll touch on today, and this this could be just a bit of a palate cleanser. It's a fun idea, right? The world's probably not going to burn down because of this one. So have you ever been in a Starbucks? And said, okay, hi, my name is, you know, uh, Chanel or Donovan. I've got the drink that I want, whatever. And then you go, uh, you wait for them to call your name. And they yell out something like Donnell or Shonovan or, you know, something that wasn't mm-hmm. your name. But it's, it's like slightly off or whatever. Uh, there's a theory, an internet rumor, it's kind of like a fan theory, that – Starbucks employees do this on purpose because when people post their hilariously misspelled or mispronounced names that are written on the cup, it's free marketing for Starbucks.
0: What do you think about that? Huh. um. Okay, here's what I would say. I am – and I do not know the numbers here. I have not looked into this. But I imagine that it is not quite as amazing for your social media feed – to post a Starbucks cup, no matter what's inside that container. It's probably not as amazing to do that as it would be to do some smaller chain, right, with a generic cup of coffee or something like that. It does does that make any sense? Like yeah. just that branding within your feed, I can imagine that's not as an exciting, as of an exciting thing to post as it would be if it was a small chain. So... Perhaps by having that funny moment occur, the (laughs) Starbucks is back in the feeds just with, you know, Adam's name misspelled. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because they know you're going to post it. Mm -hmm. I don't buy it.
1: It seems a little Rube Goldberg-esque, right? It seems circuitous. It seems unnecessary. Uh, but
0: but St- Starbucks literally needs zero
1: advertising, Ben. Right, right. When's the last time you saw a Starbucks by itself without you know like another Starbucks <laughs> down the street? I, I'm sure they exist. <laughs> they're I just out there somewhere. I just think they're increasingly rare. So we're we're in this situation, right where where we have to ask ourselves whether this was a Bob Ross style happy yeah. accident. Yeah, and I think. I think that's the most likely
0: uh occurrence here. Yeah. Did you know I played my first professional music gig at a Starbucks on 141? That's a that's a very local reference in Atlanta.
3: Mm.
0: <laughs> played my very first gig no at way. a Starbucks. Yep. It was fine. The coffee was perfectly fine back then in the early 2000s. What a
1: time, those halcyon days. Uh, This does bring us to a a stopping point where we have simply scratched the surface of a multitude of food conspiracies. We'll return to some other ones in the future, but we would also like to hear your take on these, the ones we examined in this episode, ones that you think – your your fellow audience members should be aware of whether there's something that's kind of a funny thought experiment like Starbucks, or whether it's something uh, incredibly disturbing like chocolate, or whether it's something that just makes you makes you think for a second. It gives it gives you uh, something to grind your cognitive gears against.
0: I, I will say there's one thing I'm very interested in, in here that we touched on, and and it has to do with the meat manufacturing processes, and. I have read in a lot of places uh, and seen documentaries actually about the effects of specifically cattle on, you know, what would be global climate change. Oh, right. Yeah. And I I have not done the research like we would do for one of these episodes mm-hmm. on that topic. And I'm interested in it, but I would like to know – I think we would all like to know if you are interested in that and we should – should we do an episode on that? Um, anytime we bring up – Climate change—it's mm-hmm. a bit controversial, just from yeah. the viewpoints of all of us coming forward. But I think the science generally isn't so. Well, check here's that the out. here's the
1: thing. So I think that's an excellent idea for another show we do here at the office called Car Stuff. We looked into that. Oh, uh, yeah, the amount of uh, the the amount of pollutants that cattle alone release into the atmosphere is. It is enormously significant. It's a lot. Uh, We have a full episode on that if you want to check it out. Uh, We also had an episode on hybrids uh, that, that relates to this energy consumption because, you know, when hybrids first came out, many, many people were saying, I can make the world a better place. I don't have to change that much. I just have to pay a little more for a car. You know what I mean? But the problem with hybrids and the problem with, some electric vehicles at that time was that they were pulling their electricity from a power grid. What was supplying that power grid? Coal. Coal. That's right. So, congratulations on your coal-powered car. You just move the pollution a bit further away from your line of mental sight. And I'm not. I'm, I'm not being denigrating. The technology has come a long way, and uh, overall, I think the world is is. Attempting to find newer, less long-term harmful alternatives. But you're right. There's there's something sinister about cattle when it comes to pollution, and it's something that a lot of people don't think about.
0: The biggest thing for me, Ben mm. and Paul and everybody out there, is how honestly, like I want to. I'm going to have a conversation with you off air. Maybe we bring it to the air at some point. But how you were able to maintain vegetarianism for a sustained period of time. Because I've been attempting personally in my life to do a little more of that. Uh-huh. And I'm not having a lot of success because I really am maybe – I don't know if it's addicted to f- certain flavorings or fats or something. Sure. I don't know what it is. Uh, I'm at least trained to eat in a certain way. I'm trying to fight it. Here's what happened to me. And we can't talk about this on air. But
1: uh, first, I became very busy and also very lazy okay and then uh it was dating someone who was a vegetarian so it made it very easy to say yes to that ah uh, okay you know uh and she was a fantastic cook uh but but I I don't know it's it's easy to become lazy in relationships and date date someone and say oh all right that's the thing you're into I got yeah I guess I like Ska too now
0: you know <laughs> well no that one's tough for me
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, – but there are – you know, we have a lot of vegetarians in the crowd. Maybe you can help Matt and I out. I am also eating a lot uh, a lot less meat, uh, not – full confession, not because of ethical reasons, but because I uh, I was eating like a wolf would eat for the last part of 2019. So I'm stepping back. Got it. Yeah, but I saw this as steak, some arrow in my future. I – I saw that picture. Yeah, yeah. I've eaten a lot of stuff. I've eaten horses. I've eaten. Um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I've eaten a lot of stuff. I, I, it might be too. I might be too far gone, Matt. But it's not too late for you, right? That's uh, right. <laughs> we, we also want to say that these next generations of food-related conspiracies will. Why possibly take a harder, more sinister edge as the food supply evolves? It must to feed the increasing human population. We hope this evolution succeeds. But you can already see the roots of it stretching back for years. The United Nations, for instance, uh, has fully and unironically endorsed the idea of normalizing insect consumption. Yeah. It's a great source of protein, right? Also it, eating bugs. They're not that bad. Depends on have. how you make them. Yeah.
0: I have not partaken yet uh but but I do think it's something that I know it's something that I need to at least approach with a with an open mind you've never really yeah. I think I have
1: some stuff at my desk. I can't no, I'm good. Okay.
0: I got to I gotta get an open mind first. <laughs>
1: okay. All right. All right. Well, let us know. Uh, let us know what you get there, Matt. And also let us know what you think. What are the biggest food conspiracies the world is currently ignoring? What do you think is overblown? What do you think is underreported? We want to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter. We've already recommended it once today, but please do check out our favorite part of the show, your fellow listeners on our community page. Here's where it gets crazy.
0: Yes, that is a part of Facebook. Check it out. You can find it. It's easy. If you don't want to do that, give us a call. We are 1-833-STDWYTK. You can leave a message. We will hear it, and it may get on the show as a form of an extra episode, you know, a a voicemail episode, or it could just be for our ears, and that's all it has to be. One big shout-out
1: I would like to give Shout-out to The First Next Step on Twitter for throwing a little bit of a monkey wrench into uh, one of our shows-in-universe catchphrases. They pointed out to me that it was not, in fact, Billy Mays who said, but wait, there's more. Who was it? It was the other guy. It was Ron Popel. Popiel? Oh, yeah. With the spray-on hair yeah. guy? Yeah, he's the one who said it. And I thought, no, that can't be true. And I dug through and because I, I distinctly visually, right, I remember Billy Mays saying this, or I think I do. But they said there's a Mandela conspiracy about this going around, a Mandela effect. What? Min- Mandela effect, yeah. So interesting stuff, right? Uh, but we do want to correct that uh, with absolutely... All due respect to to Billy and Ron, I'm sure that they both appreciate us getting that quote straightened out.
0: Oh, and one thing before we get out of here, let's check in with the old current world population. Right now we're at 7,757,314,780. And last things last – If you
1: have a suggestion for a show you think your fellow listeners will enjoy, if you have some feedback, if you have your own spin, your own take, we'd love to hear it. If you hate phones, we get it. If you don't like the social means, then that means thanks for listening to our earlier episode on Facebook. We have one other way for you to contact us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 364 days a year now. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <gasps>
1: for Leap Year. Yeah, for Leap Year. That's right. You can still send us a good old fashioned email. We are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com.
0: Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
1: Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the
2: mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief.